this year, we decided to answer a very common question that a lot of us have, especially not only my generation, but the generation um, kind of under me, kind of we call them Gen Zs. Uh, there's a very common question out there when it comes to relationships. And the question is this, are great marriages possible? Are great marriages possible? Possible. If you would decide to do some research, uh, just like I did, uh, about that question and go by the statistics and the facts, uh, the answer is actually very troubling because the answer is no. The answer is no. Great marriages are not possible. Well, good job, Pastor. Wrong way to kick this off with a good, fun attitude, right? Uh, but uh, I, I do want to give you hope in there because Harvard actually released a study uh, a while ago about successful marriages. I, I love it when uh, science and colleges and research kind of comes alongside and realize that, you know, what God stated thousands of years ago, uh, they realize like, oh yeah, um, that guy was right. Um, but Harvard released a study, and the study said uh, great marriages are actually possible, uh, but only if they do a few things right. They do a few things right, a few things together. Um, the statistics say to us that uh, it's one in two marriages fail. One in two marriages fail. And Harvard said that if couples can do a few things together, such as seek God together, pray together, talk about God together, the odds would actually dramatically increase in their favor. Instead of one in two marriages would fail, it was one in 1,200 marriages would fail. And it's very interesting to me because it tells me that God's got something for the concept of marriage. God has something when it comes to our relationships in this world. And really, it shows me that there, there's actually two ways of approaching relationships. So let me ask that question again, but let me approach it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, are great marriages possible? The answer would be yes, if you do it God's way. Yes, if you do it God's way. Along with this study, we've been looking at a piece of scripture uh, in the book of Lamentations. The prophet Jeremiah was the author, and he had, I'm not going to share uh, the, actually, we've been breaking it down, but I'm going to kind of recap it for you. He was going through a really bad season of life, and he was talking about, as he would reflect on the past, of his past, uh, he would have nothing but trouble and just all his gall. And that he was just kind of downcast and he was depressed and full of stress and anxiety. But then he shifted focuses a little bit because he said, even though if I look at my past and I see all that stuff, I can still recall hope because my God's faithfulness is great. His mercies are new and his grace is unending. Which tells me this, because we can approach this to everything, not only just relationships, but you can approach it with every area of life, that yes, we can look in the past and get, get discouraged, we can get depressed, we can even get angry and upset, but we can have hope because we can look to tomorrow and realize God is already working on tomorrow, even though we're living in today. I mean, let me kind of break this down for you just a little bit, just how big this is, because I think sometimes we take this for granted even though we're living in today and we mess up in today, God has already taken care of today and he's such a big God, he's already working in tomorrow for your benefit. I mean, that is how big our God is. And so this is why the sermon is called From This Day Forward, because we're approaching through that lens with our relationships in this series, From This Day Forward. How many married couples do we have in the room? Just a little bit, not to raise your hand. Okay, so you can. Thank you guys for participating. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, you guys remember your vows, right? There's something along the lines to have and to hold from this day forward. What does that mean? Well, if you guys went through premarital counseling, hopefully the pastor or the, or the person that wedded you guys uh, talked about that, it really means that I know in the past I've messed up. Like, I've done some things I'm not proud of. You've done some things that you're not proud of. But since we're coming together as one, from this day forward, we're approaching our relationships. All the stuff in the past, all that stuff before this day is gone, clean slate. We're starting from this day forward. And that's exactly how God works. He starts from this day forward. Not only does it work that in our relationships, but he works it with us individually just like that. Because I don't know about you, I'm not a perfect person, I'm not a perfect pastor, but I know that I have already messed up already today, but when I wake up tomorrow, I can have hope because God is already there waiting for me with a clean slate, with new mercies, grace that is just overabounding, all because he loves you.
So here's my thought with this. Since God works from a from this day forward mentality, why can't we work with from this day forward mentality when it comes to our relationships? Because if you look on Facebook, if you look on social media, if you look on all those different things, we are the king of pulling up past baggage. We are pros at digging up things that people have done three, four, five, six, seven, ten years ago and use it for an argument that we're having right now. We see it all the time. But we're approaching the series knowing that that's how God works. So why can't we work like that? So the last few weeks, we've been discussing various concepts. Uh, the first week, we talked about that we need to seek God together in our relationships. That that's actually the first thing that you need to do. The second week, we talked about how to fight fair. Because again, married couples, you know the truth about this. It's not about if you fight. It's about when you fight. So when you fight with your spouse, how do you fight fair? So we talked about uh, how to fight fair there. Last week, we talked about having fun in your marriage. That was the spicier message. Uh, that was a really fun message, and so I encourage you guys to check out uh, The Rock MP. You probably don't want to listen to that one in the car with your kids. Uh, it's rated PG-13, uh, but you can listen to that, and it's a really, really great message. I hope it empowers you guys. Uh, but today, we're talking about a heavy concept, and, and I kind of feel just a, a, got kind of just a heaviness in the room, and I'm going to pray that that breaks, because we're going to talk about something very important. We're going to talk about the concept of purity, the concept of purity. In fact, uh, I was going to kind of go a different route a few weeks ago when I was preparing for this message, and just this last week, just this last week, just things right and left just pointed to this topic, and I really felt God just saying, this is what we need to chat about a little bit. So can you guys do me a really quick favor? Can you take a deep breath in? Everyone take a deep breath in, breathe out. Some of you guys took two deep breaths in. Good job. Got some lungs on you. Good job. Uh, but we're going to talk about this concept of purity. So let's go ahead and wrap up this message. If you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It's on the, in your message guide notes along with the screens behind me. Um, but this is what the foundation of what we'll be talking about through today. Uh, and you can, again, find it in your notes. But this is what it says. It says this. It says, give honor to your marriage and remain faithful to the another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Very heavy passage, I know. Super heavy. And really, if you look at this, this is not the only scripture that you can find something along this theme in God's word. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands of scriptures just like this one that says, hey, when it comes to relationships, be faithful. Like, actually love each other. Don't do anything outside of marriage. Don't do anything before marriage. Keep marriage sacred. Keep marriage holy. Give honor to marriage. Just like in this whole thing from, from this day forward series, I've been wanting to show us that when you approach relationships and approach marriage, there's two ways to approach it. There's the world's way, which doesn't end up very well. Then there's God's way, which in my opinion and from, I think from other couples in here can say it's very fruitful and very abundant and actually works out more times than not. But this also includes that while God has standards for marriage, there is God's standards for purity. There is God's standards for purity. Uh, but here's the thing with standards, because I think when we think of standards, especially when God giving us standards, we think of restrictive, like God is up there thinking, how can I make your life as hard as possible? So here's a bunch of rules, one, two, three, four, five, ha, gotcha, now you can't do anything. God is not a restrictive God. He doesn't work like that. In fact, I would argue that God is quite the opposite. God puts standards not for his benefit, but for our benefit. That's why he spoke his word in scripture. It, it has nothing to do for him. It doesn't benefit him for scripture. It actually benefits us. And so as we talk about this, I encourage you guys to kind of hear through that lens that this is actually for our benefit. God didn't give us standards for his benefit, but for our benefit, including this area of purity. And God has a lot of standards for this concept that I believe the world has kind of just turned up their nose to and walked away. Even the ones that call themselves Christians. And what usually happens is that there will be a point in time in someone's life where they've kind of saw God's standards and turned away and did their own thing. And they're kind of finding themselves in the muck and the mire of this life. And they're wondering, where in the world did it go wrong? 
And I think we could trace their history timeline back to the point where they say, you know what, God, I've got it by myself. From that point on, I think that's when we kind of stepped into chaos, we kind of stepped into the mess that we created, when we turned a blind eye to what God said actually very plainly in his word. And that's why over the course of this morning, we're going to look at some scriptures that show us God's standard. But remember, this is actually for our benefit. So let's go and just look at some verses, and then I'm going to give you some practical steps towards the end of this, this message. The first one I want to show you is Ephesians 5.3. These are God's standards for purity. Ephesians 5.3 says this. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among people. Some translations say not even a hint of this should be present. Why? Because God knows that even the slightest step away from his standards starts the slippery slope down. And a lot of us have experienced that, including myself. And so that's just one of them, that's a slippery slope. It goes on to 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. This is another standard. It says, God's will is for you to actually be holy. Now, let me stop there because I think we see the word holy, and we may throw this, this kind of wall up because we think of the saying like, oh, you're just so holy, right? Holy is actually a good thing. It just means that you're pursuing after God. That's all that means, that, that you are set apart. That's where we get the word sanctified, that we're set apart for God's purpose. So holy is not a bad thing. Holy is actually a good thing. Now, those Christians who like to kind of put on the holy t-shirt and say, oh, I'm so holy, that, that, that's where they get the word hypocrite and the Pharisee spirit. That's just a little teaching for you guys. Uh, we don't believe in that. We, we actually rebuke that. But what we do want is we want a church that runs after God's calling and does everything that they can to pursue God. That is what holy means. So God's will for you is to be holy so what? Stay away from sexual sin. Do me a quick favor. Can you circle that? Can you guys go ahead and circle that for me? Sexual sin. Verse 4 says, Then each of you will control his body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. For God has called us to live holy lives, not in pure lives. Now I'm going to do a little teaching here, and we'll go ahead and move forward. Uh, I want to give us some Greek learning here. Anyone here fluent in Greek? Nope, not me either. So we'll, we'll work forward to this together. But if you look at that word sexual sin, uh, in our language, there's actually two words. In the Greek, because the Old Testament was written in Greek, we got to look at the basic fundamental language structure there. And that is, and sexual sin is actually one word. One word. You can write this down. The one word for sexual sin is pornea. P-O-R-N-I-A. Pornea. A lot of you guys know pornography. And that's where we get that term from. But here's the thing with pornea. Every pastor has this type of uh, English uh, dictionary and the thing to do some word study. Pornea is actually not just talking about the act of sex. It actually includes every sexual act outside of marriage. That's pornea. And so now that we kind of know that, you can go back to that verse that says, I'm kind of just read it for you. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from every sexual act outside of marriage, meaning that it encompasses a whole lot more than just the physical act of sex. It encompasses so much more than that. And there's such a heaviness to this because it, it, it says that this is the sin that actually, it hurts the body more than anything else. It hurts the body more, more than anything else. And that's why it goes on in verse 4, because that we have to take control over our body. Why? Because there's actually a higher calling for those who call themselves Christians. There's a higher calling for those who call themselves Christians. The calling to live holy lives, not impure lives. So that's just another standard. Here's another standard that I found. Look at Proverbs 5, 8. The author's talking about this as well, but he makes it really clear, and he's talking about a temptress. Uh, and he goes on to say this. He says, Proverbs 5, 8, he says, stay away from her. Like, just don't even go near. Don't go near the door of her house. Now, let me break this down a little bit, because as humans, we like to play with fire, which I will hear in a bit. I'll show you. But we like to see how close can we get to the snake without actually being bit, especially when it comes to this area of purity. How, like, where is the line before I step over into sin? Like, how close can I get to it without actually committing a sin? 
That's how we work. And frankly, that's not the right question we should be asking ourselves. That's why the author says, you know what? Don't go even near the door of her house. Technically, that's not a sin. You haven't walked through the door of her house. But don't even go near it. Out of sight, out of mind. And that's what he even goes as far as don't even go near the door of her house. But a lot of when it comes to sexual temptation, there is a line that you don't cross. And the author says, don't even, don't even get near that line. Like, like, keep it so far away that you can't see it. Don't go near it. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 uh, kind of just says it better than I could ever preach it. He, he says this way. He says, he says, run from sexual sin. Have you guys seen Forrest Gump? Run, Forrest, run! Sprint away from sexual sin. Like, like don't just nonchalantly like, oh, okay, just kind of walk over here and do my thing. Like, no, like see it and get the heck out. It's not good for you. This is when it goes on. It says, no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Why is that big? Because when we step into a relationship of God, we believe because Jesus gave up his physical body for our benefit, we decided it was a pretty good trade-off that when we step in relation with Jesus, our body is not our own. It's for Jesus' use and for his benefit to impact the world. So when we step into relationship with God, we have to be careful on how we treat God's body. And that's why it's so big. That's why he says no other sin clearly affects the body. And he goes on and he says this, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a very high price. So you must honor God with your body. So over the next few months, I just want to share a few God concepts on being pure. And like I said, this is a very heavy message, but I want to let you know I am preaching to myself when I preach this because I have been there, I have done that, I have messed up. And so I'm not standing before you as a perfect Christian who has a clean slate. I'm, I'm preaching from my past mistakes. I have been here. But I have also seen the goodness of God that brings the restoration that you could have today. And there's some good things here. So I, I, I encourage you, stick with me this morning over the next few moments and see where God takes us. So a few God concepts on being pure, some great concepts that I believe you can apply them once you hear them. We're going to address kind of our sexual passion. And to do this, I want to show you an illustration that I actually, I actually stole from another pastor. Yeah, this pastor stole. Um, I'm going to be stealing another thing here. Uh, I've got this bin back here, which I really, really uh, thought was kind of cool. Um, not the bin itself. It's what's in the bin that's going to be really, really fun. Uh, so in here, I have, uh, I have charcoal lighter fluid. This is really fun to play with. Um, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, we, like you've known, you've kind of, every guy here likes to burn things, right? Okay. Um, I've got a lighter because, you know, you know, matches are like from like the 1800s. So let's just kind of get right there. Um, but I also got some chunks of wood here. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, uh, but I love fire pits. I really love fire pits. I love fire. Uh, again, every guy likes to play with fire. And so I thought I'd kind of build a little fire pit for you guys up here. Uh, show you exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so I, it's not going to be the best fire in the world because uh, I don't have everything that I usually do. Uh, but I've got some really dry wood. Uh, it's kind of out of the snow, so it should light pretty, pretty easily. Um, if you stack in a certain way, I've learned this from Boy Scouts. I was actually in Royal Rangers back in the Assembly of God Church, and they taught you how to build a fire. And from that day forward, I've been playing with fire since. Um, so I know that you have to have air underneath the fire to create really big flames. A lot of you, you're looking for the exits right now. They're there, 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 and there's not one there, so don't go back there. You'll be out of luck. Um, but anyway, so we got fire, which is really, really good. Um, so we got the dry logs, Kindle. They say you need Kindle, like dry tissue paper, all that stuff. That's for, you know, people who don't know how to really do fire. Uh, I barbecue a lot, so I use this thing called charcoal lighter fluid. This is amazing. So all you do is you kind of squirt it around there. You kind of just go wherever you want it to go. If you put a lot on there, you'll get a really big flame. So you just keep going right there. Um, and then you have this lighter right here. And if you go down there and touch it, a lot of you guys are freaking out right now. <laughs> just, I'm not going to light it. This is water. You're totally fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Have a little faith in your pastor a little bit. I'm not that dumb. 
I like playing with fire, but I'm not going to do it. I just want to illustrate to you guys on what passion in the wrong place looks like. We like fire. It burns, it's heavy, but fire can be very dangerous without a few things in place. You see, the problem is not fire. Fire is actually very good. Fire is actually a fundamental of life that we need in order to survive. Just like passion is actually a fundamental thing that God created in us. Too, for too long, I think the church has taught differently about passion. I remember going to purity classes. I had a purity ring growing up. Um, and I've taught that that passion that you had, you need to stifle it. Like, don't do it. Like, no, don't, can't, won't, shouldn't, do not do that. And so I was taught that passion was a bad thing. It was a bad thing. Here's the thing. Our God is a passionate God. And he created us to have passion. But passion needs parameters. That's the first blank in your notes right there. Passion needs to have parameters. You see, passion's not the problem. It's what's the parameters that keeps your passion in place. So you can put your passion in the right channel. Just like this fire, I think that was water up here. I don't know. I'm kidding, it's water. The fire's not the issue. It's where I decided to burn the fire. You don't burn a fire inside on a stage with no rocks or let alone no fire pit. You put the fire outside so there's proper ventilation. You don't try to hurt people with fire because a lot of you guys were packing up, about to roll out of here. The fire wasn't the problem. It was that there was no parameters around the fire. You see, again, passion's not the problem. Young people, hear me out. Each generation is more passionate than the generation before. That's just how it usually goes. My generation, and especially this next generation, are very passionate. Do not lose that passion. Don't throw that passion away, and don't hear someone else say that you have too much passion or whatever. It's where the parameters are to guide that passion. And so that's all I want to give you this morning. I just want to share a few parameters about passion. You see, passion, when we first experience it and not learning how to contain it and put the right parameters in place, it's like giving a person who just learned how to drive keys to your Lamborghini. They have no idea how to drive that sports car. All they know is if I go in their startup and press the pedal to the metal, I can go very fast, very far. But if they don't learn how to contain the power of that streetcar, not only are they going to hurt themselves, but they can hurt other people. And so if you don't learn how to operate in the passion that God has given you, your passion, while it's a God thing, can actually be the very thing that hurts you. And I want to show us what that looks like. What are some parameters when it comes to our passion. Well, here's the first one I want to show you, I want to encourage you with, is make a commitment to God's standard. Make a commitment to God's standard. Psalms 119 says it best. He says, how can a young person stay pure? Like, it's a very legit question. How can a young person stay pure? But what does the answer? It says, by obeying your word. Your meaning Jesus's word. What does that look like? Well, it's, all, it's different now with all the digital stuff, but this is what we call God's word. It's a Bible. And so how do you stay pure? Just, just listen to God's standard in this. It's actually not very hard. It's very, very easy. Well, I don't like physical pages. Well, here's some good news for you. There's plenty of Bible apps. There, there, there's, there's no way around this. How can you stay pure? By obeying God's word. Now, here's the deal. The reason we make the commitment to God's standard is not because we have to. God is God of free will, which is amazing. It's one of the things why I love about my God. But the reason I make a commitment to his standard is because God's the one that created the passion in the first place. He's the one that created the passion in the first place. I didn't create it. You didn't create it. God did. So I think because since God's the creator of your passion, God has an exclusive rights to show us how to use the passion in which he created as I was writing this, I kept on thinking about how much I hate building furniture uh, or building barbecue grills for that reason. I have shared this plenty of times over, but I have a very hateful passion when it comes to furniture being delivered to my house, and I have to be the one to put it together. 
Here's why I hate it. It's actually not the furniture itself. The furniture is actually very beautiful. But the furniture comes in a million pieces. And upon that, there's a thing called a manual or an instruction book. I see what a shelf looks like. Not that hard. I see the pieces. I can figure it out. I don't need to listen to the manual. So I toss that aside. I build the thing. In fact, I was doing this with a dresser, a six-door dresser that my in-laws sent me. And I'm like, I, I got this. I can put it together. So I, I put it aside and I was getting things. And I put the dresser together and it was stinking wobbly. And so I told my wife, I'm like, you need to call your mother and tell her she got us a horrible dresser. And so she calls her mother and the father, my father-in-law says, did you put the backing on in the right place? Like you're supposed to put the backing on before you put the drawers in and it'll line everything up. And I said, you have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, did you read the instruction book? Why would I want to do that? You see, I'm not the one that created the bookshelf. And because I did not create the bookshelf, I should probably listen to the person who created it. He knows how to put it together. The same thing goes with our passion. God is the one who created this passion, and the instructions for us are stated in his word. So how do you stay pure? Just read his, just read his word. It's easy. Do I have like four-hour-long Bible study sessions every morning? No. To be honest, I probably read between 5 and 15 minutes every day. It's very short, and it's easy. So just read his word. Here's the second one. Here's another parameter. We're kind of going in the deeper part of the message here. Is the second one is manage my mind. Manage my mind. Here's the thing. When it comes to acting on your passion, managing your purity, it starts with your mind. It starts with your mind. There isn't anything that you do that you haven't thought about before. Here's the thing. Kind of put this out there. There is no such thing as a one-night stand. No such thing. You know why? Because it didn't just happen. It didn't just, oh, ah, ah. No, like whether you thought weeks before or moments before, it started with your mind. And so if you start with the source of it, manage your mind. When it comes to watching videos and looking at images, it didn't just happen. You actually thought about it before. It starts with the mind. The mind is such a powerful thing that we have to be on the offensive, church. This is where I think we need to be at. We have to be on the offensive, not the defensive. Because here's the thing, we all struggle with passion within parameters. We all struggle with that. And the enemy knows that, so he's trying to be on the offensive, on trying to shoot you the plays for you to react to. But let me tell you, if you always play on the defensive, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. And so I encourage you, including myself, be on the offensive when it comes to managing your mind. How, what does that look like in a practical way? Well, for myself, and I've learned in the past, is here's one. Filter your computers and your iPhone. Filter your computers and your phone. Did you know there are systems out there that you can put in place in your computer and on your phone that prints out a weekly or even monthly report of what you searched? Some of your guys' faces just turned really white. Here's the thing. It's, that's not new news. Everything that you look up, everything that you research on that web browser, that company has full access to the data that you've been looking at. And while that's out of sight and out of mind, I don't want to scare you into this, but what I do want to show you is how to keep honor in your marriage. It's okay, if, even if you don't wrestle with this, it's okay to have that in place anyways. It's okay to have that in place anyways. Why? Because it gives honor to your marriage. Job in the Bible actually went as far as establishing a covenant and a promise about managing his mind. Look what he says, Job 31. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. He took it so seriously. He had to make, he had to make a covenant, a promise to himself. Says, hey, do you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look like that way. I'm not going to turn my eyes there. In fact, if I even see the threshold of that door, I'm just going to turn and run the opposite way. Like he was so serious about this. Psalms 1, uh, 101 verse 3, he says, I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. For some of us, that looks in totally different ways. But I think the concept still remains the same. We need to manage our mind. And this sounds extreme, and it is, but here's the thing, and it's a saying that I keep in my mind whenever I might mess up, 
this thing that you should guys should probably write down is this. We're all one step away from stupid. We're just one step away from stupid. You know exactly what I mean. When I think of that, we can all think of someone that seemed to have it all, made one bad decision, and lost everything. We can all name someone. Even in the ministry world, that's the huge thing that's happening right now. A bunch of pastors are just being kind of dethroned, if you will, because of just one stupid decision. We're all humans, which means that we're all tempted with a decision that can take it all away. We're all one step away from stupid. Here's my thing. Like I said, I was preaching from experience. I have crossed that line before. I have done that before. And I had to come to a point where I actually, right after we first got married, I had to sit my wife down and confess to her the things that I did during our relationship. And let me tell you, even just thinking about it right now, it just makes my stomach just drop. Because I did something that could have screwed up my entire life. And I had no idea how that was going to turn out. And I knew I messed up, and I knew I had to confess it and approach my wife with what I did. And it was the most horrible experience that I could ever imagine. And I do not want to go through that again. Nor do I want to sit my wife down again and say, guess what? Or look at my children in the eyes and say, this is what your dad did. Or come before you guys and say, you got to find a new pastor. Do you feel the heaviness in the room right now? Like, that's how serious this is. We're just one step away from messing up. So why do we wait for it and play on the defense where we can take control and play on the offense? You see, this is huge. Now, the end of that story, because that was a very low point in our marriage and a very low point in my life, women, if... After this message, I hope some reconciliation happens. I'll talk about this, but my wife, she is the image of God's forgiveness. And where I should have been finding another place to sleep and get ready to pack up, she still forgave me, loved me anyways, and we worked through it. You see, that's why it's so important to be on the offense. So it's so important to take the advice of that author in Proverbs. says, don't even go near her door. Like, it's not even worth it. Just, just go away from it. Don't play with a snake that will bite you at some point in time. Here's another thing that I do to manage my mind. Do from that experience, uh, even now, my wife has complete and total access to my phone, complete and total access to my social media accounts, and she can check it whenever she wants to. Now, again, my wife is awesome. And it's not like she goes every morning and says, oh, it's time for checkup, and starts checking things, right? <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. But here's what she does, is she, she trusts me, and there's every now and then, well, she just kind of flips through my stuff. And it's not about her checking my stuff, it's about how I react to it. Because too many times in relationships, couples listen to me. If you blow things out of proportion and say, why are you invading my privacy? It's a red flag. You shouldn't be on my phone. That's my computer. That's my email. You have no business being in my stuff. Let me tell you, the enemy knows this, and they have the most just horrible things out there. Do you know there's a site? I'm not going to name the site because I don't want to put it out there. But there's a site that you can go on and have a mutual affair, and it'll hide your identity. How sick and wrong is that? It's not good, and it's not of God. And let me tell you, we have to bring honor back into the marriage, and it starts with managing your mind. Because it, it brings nothing but destruction, not only to you, but it hurts with collateral damage to your spouse and to your kids, to your relatives, to your organization. It affects so much more than you. It starts with managing your mind, and that leads us to the third point, how to, how to go on with this, is this, magnify the consequences magnify the consequences. The scripture that we read a few moments ago talked about how when we enter into this temptation and we mess up, it causes a, date, a great deal of grief. 
more than anything else that we can do. But we've been so consumed with how the world does things, the world tries to convince you that it's really not that bad. They won't find out. It's okay. It's just you. You're hurting no one else. And what they do is they try to minimize the consequences. But scripture goes on and says they're way bigger than you can ever imagine. Like it's like pouring lighter fluid on a bunch of logs and it's dropping a match on it. It can cause a lot of destruction and collateral damage. So don't even do it. Magnify the consequences. And we can look at the consequences, and it doesn't look that bad, but let me tell you, it's horrible. The best way I can kind of put this, uh, back in the day, there was a movie called The Gremlins. You guys ever seen the movie Gremlins? Yep, I'm going to bring this movie out for you. If you haven't seen The Gremlins, uh, it, you're not missing out a whole lot, all right? But there's this concept with this movie where a teenage guy comes into a, a, a shop, and I probably will mess this up because I haven't seen it for, like, you know, years. Uh, but he gets this little creature, and it's super, super cute, right? It's warm and snuggly and it's furry. Uh, but the guy says, that there's a few things that you need to know about this creature that I'm giving you. Uh, there's some rules to this. Uh, you can't feed or water it after midnight, and don't put it in light. Don't do that. If you do that, nothing good will come out of that. So the guy goes home with his little cute furry creature, and lo and behold, he doesn't listen to the parameters set in place. So what happens? The creature gets next to some water and is fed after midnight. And the cute little furry thing that he was given turned into this destructive monster that not only caused chaos in his life, but in the entire town. Very great concept when it comes to this point. Because your parameters and your passion, if you don't listen to them and you go outside of the parameters, it can hurt you. It can cause destruction. Not only in your life, but everyone else's life. And that's why you have to magnify the consequences. Like, if you think it's that bad, take that times 10. And know that it's still bigger than that. Consequences. They have to manage the consequences. Proverbs 6.32 says, But the man who commits adultery, an utter fool. An utter fool. For he destroys himself. It's okay to remind ourselves the consequences that could take place. I have to do that, if not weekly, daily. If I go this direction, this is what could happen. If I pursue this relationship in an improper way, this is what could happen. If I decide to look at that Instagram picture just a little bit too long, this could happen. Magnify the consequences. Lastly, to work in God's, uh, God's standards of purity, we need to maintain proper relationships. Maintain proper relationships. Proverbs say, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate fools and get into trouble. Pretty easy, right? What, what, what does it look like? I, here, this is what I'm going to tell you. This, this is what I do. All right? I can only speak from, from, from my own experience. More times than not, especially in the areas of affairs, it happens because of improper relationships, which means we need to have relational integrity. And as a pastor, we are just obsessed with this. Like, like we go above and beyond because we don't even want just, just a rumor. There's like, 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 like yesterday, this is not in my notes, and I'll go through there. Like even yesterday, I went and picked up a sled from a lady's house, and I made my wife get out of the car to go pick up the sled. Like, it, it just takes one bad rumor to destroy everything that I see right here. One bad word to just <clears throat> obliterate it all. Bon, is it really that big? Yes. It takes one slip up to mess things up. So with that, we have to manage proper relationships. You know, a guy and a girl establishes a relationship and it starts off at friends. You know, it's not like we wake up and say, oh, I'm going to have an affair today. No, it, it just starts, it, it all starts off just as friends. But then as they grow closer as coworkers and they spend more time with them than they actually do with their own family, it just leads from one thing to another and it involves into something that's very unhealthy. So you have to create guidelines. For myself, I always check my relationship with any woman that is not my wife. I always 
check in. I don't meet with them in private. I don't travel alone with them. If it's a working relationship, we work in public, we eat in public, and everything else is done in public. There should never be a time where you are behind closed doors with another woman that is not your spouse. Wives, same thing goes for you. Should never be a time. Why? Because the enemy will have a heyday with that. And it all starts off with something just, well, it's nothing. You, you don't have to be worried about it. We're just working. It's just a project we're working on together. It starts out like that. Just as a little spark of fire can destroy a whole entire forest. It's that big. Even since I work alone, I take the extra step, even though it's a bit of a hassle, to make sure I maintain proper relationships. And my wife does the same thing. You must have rules when it comes to relationships. Because in this way of this world right now, they teach you the opposite thing, the things that I just talked about. You can have more people in relationships. It's totally fine. Or just to avoid that, they're totally just, just messing the whole concept of relationships up. So they say, oh, you can have as many partners as you want. It's totally fine. And the other person has to be okay with that. If you're not happy in your relationship, you can ditch that one and go find a brand new one that can make you happy. But I'm telling you, that is not God's way. It is not God's way. Why? Because God does not do the same thing to you. I have messed up more times than not, more than enough to give God more than enough excuses and the rights to leave me in my mess and find the next better person. But he stays with me, forgives me, and loves me, and loves me from, a, from this day forward mentality. And let me tell you, every single day, that has to happen because he wants to. So we do the same thing in our relationships, relationships here. Here's the thing, church. Through the entire message today, there are three responses, and I saw all three of them this morning. And I want to give just a little bit of time for the Holy Spirit to work on us. We're not going to do any singing. We got some music in the background. But I want to do something. Here's the three responses. See, there's some of us, we're feeling defensive. Like, you don't know my circumstance, Pastor. You have no idea what that person did to me, so I had to do that. You don't know what goes on in my life. What gives you the right to speak into what I'm going through right now, making the decisions I have to? You have no idea how my spouse treats me. You have no idea what I found on her phone, the conversations that I heard. You have no idea, and I don't. But God does. So there are some of you feeling defensive. There's some of you that you're actually feeling remorse. Like, ah. Oh, must have checked my browsing history before I came here this morning. Let me tell you what the thing with remorse. Out of remorse comes two words. Both of them are very polar opposite. One's from God and one's from the enemy. Two words, one's condemnation. If you're saying here, think, God, I'm just worthless. Like, I'm no good. Like, he knows what I did. I just, I'm just going to quit. I read the other day that actually someone found uh, some stuff on a guy's computer. He was part of ministry, and he actually committed suicide. Like, he, he was so full of remorse. That's not of God. So if you're sitting here thinking, I'm worthless, I'm just looking at don't listen to that voice. That's not God. You see, God brings another word, and it's called conviction. It's kind of like if the voice is saying, hey, I know what you did, but here's the way out. Like, I've seen what you've done, but I want to help you get better. That's from God. Listen to that voice. That's the best thing for you. So we're feeling defensive. Some of us are feeling remorse. And here's the third thing, and this is what I want to do here for the next just, just few moments. Some of us, we're feeling the call of repentance. And that comes out of the place of conviction where God says, here's the way out, but let me work with you. Like, let me help you out. Know that you don't have it all together, but I'm God. Let, my son has already died for this, so let me go ahead and just take it away from you. 
That's how much God loves you. Where you have a tug on your heart that is telling you to come to Jesus for forgiveness. And that is exactly what God wants to do. You see, this is a heavy message, but I want to end with the thing of hope. Because here's the, Satan, he wants to leave you there, but God loves you so much, he actually wants to take you out of there. He wants to help you out. That is the only reason why I am standing right here where I am at. Because I found a God that, that, that he gave his son, he died for me. And because of that, I know that I can come with him as filthy rags, as scripture says. But in place of that, he puts a clean heart within me. And with that clean heart comes out of a new creation. That is how much God loves you. And he wants the best for you. But it has to come from a place of repentance. And for some of us, this comes easy. And God bless you. But for some of us, this is hard. Because you have to realize, I was wrong. And I don't have everything under control. But let me tell you, when you give up that responsibility of trying to take control of your own life and putting the place of God, you thought you had freedom to begin with? Oh, man. The standards are not for God's benefit. The standards are for your benefit. You actually have more freedom in that than you would if you would dismiss it. So here's what I want to do. We're going to turn up the music just a little bit if we could. But I want us to bow our heads. Close your eyes. If you're here with a significant other, with your husband or wife, or I wouldn't even say if you're engaged or you can even practice this as, as you're dating, would you just grab hold of their hand? Just hold their hand. Would you do that? If you're single or your spouse is not here, this is still for you. Because here's, here, here's what I want us to do. All of us, we fall in one of those three places. And I know that even Christians, we can mess up. And my prayer for this morning is that there would be a conversation of reconciliation after this. And here's the thing with that, because there's two responses. The world teaches you that if your partner messes up and comes forward to you and confesses that you need to leave them and go find something else, they're not worth it. God's way is the way of forgiveness. My wife, when I came to her in the car and I said, babe, I messed up royally. And like, I would understand if you left me. I would understand if you just called your parents and just bashed on me. I, I would understand all, like, like I would make the decision for you so that you wouldn't look like the bad person. Because I felt that much remorse. But later that night, she says, babe, I still love you. And I know we have things, things to work on, but I'm going to be right there with you. And from this day forward, we'll run towards God together. My prayer is that if there is a conversation where a husband or a wife need to talk to each other about a hard conversation after this, may that be your response. May you feel the Holy Spirit's forgiveness in your heart. Because after all, that is what God did for you. So, I just want you guys to pray in your head. And I just want you to come to a place of repentance. Because before you need to ask forgiveness from your spouse, you need to come before for God and ask forgiveness from Him first. So let's just take few seconds and do that.
here's the thing, church. When you leave this place, the enemy's going to try to do everything he can to let you know it's okay to cover it up. But just like a wound that's not properly dressed, it's just going to fester and become infected. And it's not going to stay in that little place, but it's going to crawl through your entire body, and it could bring death. You have the chance right now to stop it before it gets there. Now, I've already prayed, and I believe that with all my heart that and while you're ahead, the enemy is saying, your spouse is going to leave you. They're going to be so mad at you. They're, like, they're just going to hate you. That's not going to happen. In fact, you're going to not hear the voice of your spouse, but you're going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ that says, do you know what? I love you. And I forgive you. And from this day forward, we move towards what God has for us. Got one more thing you're sitting here this morning you're saying, do you know what? I, I don't even have a proper relationship with Jesus. I would say, let's start there. That's the first decision you can make to be on the offensive for what God has for you. If you're saying, do you know what? That's me. I, I, need to, I need to come back to Jesus or I need to start right now with Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? Is anyone here? And I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here that says, you know what? Yeah, I'm coming to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anyone else? This relationship is so important. This is step one of the manual. You do not skip the step to run toward the finished project. This is where it starts. It starts with this. You can begin with the conversation with God and say, you know what, Lord, I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you make me clean? God, would you create in me a new heart? From this day forward, God, I'm going to run after you. I'm going to do everything to, to live that holy calling that you have called me to live. And I'm going to push aside everything. I'm not going near any door, the threshold that is just full of curses and death. In fact, I'm going to run from that, God, and I'm going to run to you. And after you pray that, it, it doesn't stop there. Because it's actually not the prayer that saves you. Actually, what it is, it, it's your faith that says, do you know what, God? I'm giving up my control and put that in your hands. My life now belongs to you. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, for just the fact that, yes, all this was pretty heavy, but Lord, we can come to you just as we are. You're not a God that says we have to get our stuff together and then we can approach you. You're a God that we can run to you just as we are, our filth and all. And Lord, because of that, you do a miracle that we can never work, and that's to make us clean, to become who you've called us to be, and that's actually to become a child of righteousness. Thank you, God, for seeing me through that lens. Father, I pray that we would hide this message in our heart, that we live out the practicality of this message. God, I believe great things are going to come out of this. In your mighty, holy, and powerful name, everyone said amen and amen. You can bring the house lights back up if you would.